Who is the most underrated actor of all time? It's Dolph Lundgren. Correct. Why? Well, because of his uh, spiky hair, yep. his ice-cold demeanor, and his big muscles. Absolutely. I must break you. Welcome to I Must Break This Podcast. This is the fan podcast celebrating the cinematic career of action legend Dolph Lundgren. Hello and welcome back to I Must Break This Podcast, the fan podcast that takes an in-depth look at the films of man of action, Dolph Lundgren. And well, (laughs) here we are, folks. Uh, I I don't know if it can get worse than this one, but uh, here we are, ready to discuss the mess that is Agent Red. In this hodgepodge of stock footage and terrible one-liners, Lundgren plays Matt Hendricks, a Marine who is tasked with escorting Agent Red the world's most lethal chemical agent ever created by man. Yet when a group of Russian terrorists hijack the submarine that is transporting Agent Red, Hendrix becomes a one-man army, intent on stopping the terrorists from launching the virus onto New York and Moscow. It is our darkest military secret. The most lethal biological weapon known to man. Agent Red is unstable. If this thing were to get loose, you'd want to be in a very safe place. If this thing gets loose, there is no safe place. And now the worst case scenario is about to come true. Apparently there's a group of terrorists who know about this stuff and want it real bad. The real slate cleaner. The U.S. submarine, the New Orleans, has been taken over by a group calling itself Commencement. We have Agent Red. Once exposed, you cannot survive. When we hit, you got ten minutes. Don't wait for me. Once released, it cannot be contained. They're going to load the virus into the missiles and fire them on New York and Moscow. Once launched, it cannot be stopped. We're going to have to take these people. How? Make a little noise. Do a little damage. I want that submarine destroyed. Watch your back. Dolph Lundgren. Hey, a very stubborn man. Agent Red. I'm your host, Sean Malloy, and joining me once again to close out our discussion on the Lundgren Phoenician Entertainment trifecta of films is Brenton Hasem from the website All Out of Bubblegum. Brenton, thank you so much for uh, for coming back and agreeing to this one. I'm back once again. <laughs> <laughs> and, and I'll just uh, let uh, the listeners and everybody know that we are going to be um, doing something a little bit different. I, I think when uh, we discussed uh, doing this one... It, it became pretty much necessary that uh, we are going to have to crack a couple uh, cold ones as we uh, listen to this one. And I don't know about, or excuse me, as we discuss this one, and I don't know about you, Brenton, but uh, to get through this one, I have uh, cracked open a can of Punching Mule, Moscow Mule. Uh, it's a Moscow Mule drink in a can, but it is uh, quite tasty. Uh, what are you drinking for this one? I'm drinking a Polliner Salvatore. It's a German beer. Doppelbach. <laughs> All right. All right. Well, I've been looking forward to this because I think, uh, you know, I was talking to a buddy about this earlier before we were recording. 
And I said, yeah, we're going to be drinking through that one just uh, just to let you know. And he said, I'd be <laughs> mad if you didn't, actually. So, <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is, a, it's you know, it's a cliche, but it's one I'm happy to be part of, watching an action movie and drinking beer. So that's yeah. fine by me. Oh, awesome. Awesome. Well, very cool. Um, yeah, this is, uh, you know, this is one of those films and I should probably uh, let listeners know, um, you know, how, how this one kind of came about with you and I doing this one, because when we were discussing Stormcatcher, it was kind of crazy because, yeah, um, I'm going to slightly repeat myself. But, yeah, uh, Dolph Lundgren had a contract of sorts, I'm assuming, uh, with the company Phoenician Entertainment. And again, these uh, the company is now defunct and uh, no longer in business in production. But this was the company. It was headed by Andrew Stevens, Fred Olin Ray, Jim Wynorski. Um, they made nothing but just kind of schlocky B action movie pictures. And Lundgren, yeah, like I said, had a three-picture deal with them. And when we did Stormcatcher, it was one of those things that kind of came about organically where I was like, you know, Brenton, if we're discussing Stormcatcher, it only makes sense that you come back to discuss all of these films that Lundgren did. <laughs> Lundgren and these guys did. So, and it's funny because... Um, I don't know if you feel this way, but I think this is probably at the bottom of the barrel. This is the worst of the worst. And, you know, when I when I first started to show up um, uh, a year and a half, almost two years ago, which is kind of weird to think. Um, but when I started this up, this is one of those things where it was like, oh, my God, I got to do an episode on Agent Red. Like, I'm not <laughs> looking forward to this. But in a really weird way, uh, watching it again and laughing about it and now cracking the beer and everything, I'm actually kind of oddly looking forward to this. I think this is going to be fun. Well, yeah, well, I thought uh, even when I was watching it, I thought, you know what, uh, there's a point kind of like those old Atari games where, you know, you go out one side and you just come back around the other. And it's like it, it, it gets so bad that it becomes pretty enjoyable. Yeah, <laughs> that's a great way of putting it. Um, well, and I have to ask, because you said before we started recording, you said, um, that your wife came in and you had to show her one scene. So I just, oh, yeah. I guess what well, I'll ask you right now, what was the scene? I mean, because there are, cause I showed my wife a scene as well, actually um, for this one. And there are so many scenes that you can pick out and, and laugh at. What was the one that you chose? Well, the one that made me just, just go gonzo. And I had to just, I, I replayed it for myself. And then when my wife came home from work, I had to show her and it's at the end of the movie when the uh, the love interest character calls off the, the the attack. She picks up the phone and she dials the you know the the you know our hero our hero the cavalry and she's pushing button, buttons that are not there. There's nothing there on the wall <laughs> and she's just pushing and they have the sound effect of her hitting buttons and I was just rolling laughing about this. Yeah, I, you know, and to be honest, I um. <clears throat> I picked up on that as well. I just had such a problem getting past the the fact that, okay, yeah, Lundgren's love interest in this one, we're supposed to buy her as being this, uh, this, what, what, what is she? She's an expert in, in bioweapons and everything. Her name is Dr. Yes. Linda Christensen. And she looks like she just came out of a Victoria, uh, Victoria's Secret model shoot or something. I mean, it's. Yeah. Well, it's distractingly, um, you know, just like that operated on, good looking face just yeah. distractingly good looking so much so that you know she has exactly that what you're saying that victoria's secret look where you're like there's she's not a real human even at this point and well and there's a 
There's another character who who pops up earlier in the film when Lundgren is getting his uh, when he's getting his orders and everything. Uh, one of the um, one of the military brass or whatever who comes in, and I can't remember the character's name, but she's only in that one scene. But it's like, okay, this is a uh, a military operation here, and uh, apparently they employ supermodels. Okay, let's yeah, roll with it. Just the brunette. You're talking about the the brunette, and when he gets yeah. injected with the antidote early on, yeah. <laughs> it's ridiculous. Yeah. Well, I guess before we fully get into the film, um, because I, when we discussed Stormcatcher, I told you I had kind of a funny story about my first uh, exposure to this film. But if you can go back this far, I know that you have said previously that you used to work in a video store. Is yeah. that when you first were exposed? Get get the get the the play on words that I'm doing. It's called expo- It's called Agent yeah. Red. And you're going to be exposed to virus. So anyway, lame joke. Um, when you were first exposed <laughs> to Agent Red, if you can go back that far, what's your experience? Uh, yeah, that's what it was. I remember seeing the uh, the poster for it, which you were, I guess I didn't see the poster. I saw the cover of the DVD, and it just really, I don't know, it just seemed so typical. It was one of those ones you laugh at, and I, and I watched it even at the time, too, and it was just, you know, it's hysterical. And yeah, I remember, I'd, so I'd only seen... Uh, at that point in my life, I'd only seen a few Dolph Lundgren movies, and it was kind of the first bad Lundgren movie I'd seen. And it was kind of one of the ones that was like, I need to watch other movies going into this, because I do not understand what happened. <laughs> so you did see uh, Stormcatcher before you saw this one, is that right? I did. Okay. So my exposure to it was, okay, so this, uh, I remember seeing this, uh, this came out in the, correct me, yeah, I'm pretty certain of this, actually. It came out in the spring of 2001, and I was a uh, <laughs> I was a senior in high school. And so if you remember around this period, this is when DVD sales were booming. I mean, this, oh, was, yeah. this is when DVD was that new technology that was replacing VHS. It was coming out, and I will still stand by it. Yeah, sure, streaming media um, seems to be taking over physical media like DVD and Blu-ray, but I will still stand by it. A disc that has various special features, as well as a director's commentary and everything, I still put that above streaming, in my opinion. And maybe I'm no, old no, school, but... Um, you are old school, but you're not wrong. <laughs> yeah. Um, so anyway, that's a slight tangent. But yeah, and so there were various websites that I would frequent in my young 18-year-old self that would kind of give you updates as to um, what was coming out on Tuesday. Tuesday was always that one day of the week that um, me, as well as you know, so many other movie collectors, just, you know, looked forward to and would go gaga over. And so there was a website that is actually still in existence. I don't go to it as much anymore called videoeta.com. Do you remember that site? I don't. Oh, you, okay. So it's pretty no, much just an, this up, is pretty good. So like, I'm learning something. Yeah. Well, it, all it, all it really is, is just, you know, pretty much an updated site of, okay, what is coming out on DVD this week? What is coming out on, on DVD next week, next month, et cetera, et cetera. And so, like I said, this is when DVDs were hot. They were big. And so uh, I go to this website and I found that a new Dolph Lundgren movie was going to be dropping on this certain date. And so I literally, I, as lame as it sounds, but I had that date on my calendar. And, you know, when, when, you're, when you're in high school, I mean, I had a job at the time. And I, I remember I taught swim lessons, you know, throughout the week or whatever. And I remember I got paid 50 bucks a week cash. And so that is the money that I was saving for, you know, college and whatnot. But I had got a $50 bill each week. And so I knew that the new Dolph Lundgren movie was coming out. And now, granted, I hadn't seen The Last Warrior yet, but I did see 
Stormcatcher and Jill the Ripper. So I still had, as I do nowadays, I still had quite a bit of faith in Mr. Lundgren. And so I saw that this new movie was coming out. And I, I remember thinking to myself, should I buy this blind? Should I go to, um, it was media play. I don't know if you had any media plays out where, uh, where you grew up, but um, there was a wonderful physical media store called Media Play that was open back in the day. So anyway, I went there after school, and long story short, I picked it up because I was thinking, well, it has Dolph. How could it possibly go wrong? I'm going to buy this blind without having seen it. And I kid you not, Brenton, to buy this brand new on the day of release, it was twenty seven ninety nine. Okay, so <laughs> almost almost thirty dollars, and so here I am. I only get fifty bucks a week, and I'm I'm making that gamble, man. Uh, you, you know, I'm gonna, I'm you gonna bit the down. bullet. <laughs> I bit the bullet, and uh, yeah, well, I, I and I came home. I popped it in the DVD player, and I was just pissed off that I wasted my hard earned money that week on this film, and it was it was such a disappointment. Well, I gotta ask you. It, how weird is this movie after seeing Stormcatcher? Like, if you watch Stormcatcher in this, Stormcatcher in this, how weird is that? It was. It was odd because I remember. I I think I told you briefly um, when we were discussing Stormcatcher was I brought this one home and I um, popped it into the DVD player and I started kind of dozing out, which is really weird because the scene in Stormcatcher is like barely ten minutes even in the movie. But I was kind of mm-hmm. dozing in and out, and I wasn't really paying attention because the opening titles sequence is extremely boring. So that didn't didn't get me excited at all. And so I saw the scene <clears> from Stormcatcher, and kind of like you had said, I thought I was I thought I was losing it. I was thinking, why in the hell did I pop in Stormcatcher? I thought I popped in Agent Red. And so I popped the DVD out, saw that it was Agent Red, and I remember I had a VHS copy of Stormcatcher. So I popped Stormcatcher in the VCR. And this is my first time. I mean, I had seen the film Ed Wood. So I knew I knew what the use of stock footage was and how <laughs> low-budget directors yeah. used stock footage perhaps pretty badly. But this is the first time I had seen stock footage used so poorly. And I couldn't believe it. I mean, I, I, I know that you had a similar experience as well, right? Yeah. Well, the other thing was that I'd been, uh, I'd been marathoning movies. For about a week at the time. It was just something I did back then. And so I thought I was going crazy, like the same kind of fashion going, did I just watch this? And then you, you know, you pop, take one out, pop the other one in and you're like, no, sure enough, they did it. They just dubbed a guy differently, but the music is the same and everything. It's freaking weird. Well, and it's, you know, and you, you brought it up during Stormcatcher, but I'll echo it again. The scene just in the narrative of the film is awkward. I mean, I I think you described it perfectly. You said it's awkwardly violent, which it really is because in the context of Stormcatcher, the scene works because the person stealing the plane and killing all those guards is in fact a villain. So it works there. And plus you also have uh, Tony Hickox's direction, you know, I mean, so it's, it's almost like a horror scene, but here in the context of agent red, it's just uncomfortable because, okay, I'm assuming if, if you're going to watch it in Agent Red, you know, in the context of Agent Red, okay, I'm assuming that he's stealing the plane and these are bad guys, but he's killing these guys so viciously, you know, so menacingly. I mean, and he's even chucking knives in guys who are throwing their arms up in surrender. Yeah. So it, <laughs> <laughs> like, they didn't need to even include that, but they did. Well, yeah, and they included it because 
I actually did speak with, if you go back in the episode archives, really? I did speak with a screenwriter um, by the name of Steve Latcha, who did an uncredited rewrite on this one. And so basically what happened, uh, I have a little bit of info on the, on the production of this. I it was uh, fascinated here, actually. Go on. Okay. So I will, okay, so let me back up, actually, before I get to this, because the background of this film is fascinating, okay? So what I gathered in my, you know, the research that I did, the film was actually pre-sold, okay, so when it was <clears throat> when it was getting sales and everything like that, it had a completely different storyline entirely. So it was titled Captured, and Lundgren was to play, um, I'll just give you a little bit of the synopsis right here. Lundgren plays the character of Jim Solomon. Jim Solomon is a hired assassin sent on a revenge mission. Uh, Bernard Abrams, a wealthy businessman, has lost his daughter Allison to a white slave trader. Uh, Bernard wants all involved dead, and the body count will determine Solomon's pay, ten grand a head. So what ensues is pretty much Solomon infiltrating various countries using all these government connections. He steals an F-14 fighter plane as well as a U.S. Uh, a U.S. Navy class uh, submarine, and it is just pretty much a full-on assault where Dolph is this killing machine, um, destroying everyone in his path to. Uh, to get this girl back. I don't know about you, but th that sounds awesome. I'm kind of wondering. I was about to say, like, I, that sounds like a freaking great movie. I want to see that. I, exactly. And so I don't know exactly what happened if they sold it under this. And then maybe along the way, they realized we don't have the budget to pull off this kind of story, or maybe better yet. They realized we don't have the footage in our stock in our, in our library of stock footage to retrofit this. You know, I don't know, but what happened is they pretty much, did a remake. There was a film that they produced so many years earlier called Countermeasures with Michael Dudikoff. That was around the same time, though, right? Well, yeah, it was, it was just a couple years prior, if that even. Okay, yeah. And so, Agent Red, what we have, it's a remake. Okay, here's where it gets good. It's a remake of Countermeasures, but they actually use footage from Countermeasures <laughs> in Agent Red. It is uh... baffling to me. Well, just like right off the bat, the movie starts out and they're th these guys that are supposed to be on a stealth mission. First off, a guy is carrying around an M60, so you're not very stealthy with that, but whatever. Uh, every language on the walls, um, on warning signs, it's a different language everywhere you look. So it's clearly from different films. And then, of course, there's this scene right in the beginning where it's from Stormcatcher, and he's got a big old American flag patch on his arm. Like, nothing makes sense. So if you watch the movie and you are paying at all attention, you are, it's just confusing. And the guy that walks up and bothers him, and they just dub over him, and he's, like, got a Russian accent or something. It's bizarre. So I don't know. I mean, it's clear that it's from different movies, but I did not know that it was once uh, an awesome-sounding movie. <laughs> well, and it, it's, it's, it's weird because apparently, uh, so this was written and directed by a guy by the name of Damien Lee, and he must have had some serious pull within Phoenician Entertainment because he was one of the executive producers on the previous couple films that we covered. And so um, I, he was hired on as director for this one, and like I said, I don't know... I don't know what happened, but somewhere along the ways, Damien Lee changed it completely to what we got, which in the end is 
it's a completely unoriginal diehard knockoff. Yeah. Um, not to mention, like I said, it's this unofficial remake of a film that Phoenician Entertainment produced earlier called Countermeasures. It's it's just it's it's weird. But what's interesting about it in speaking with uh, Steve Latshaw is Damien Lee shot his film. It was completed. But when it came back to the, the heads at uh, Phoenician Entertainment, they deemed it completely unreleasable. So Jim Wynorski, uh, Steve Latshaw, others were called in to rewrite it and make it at least somewhat comprehensible. And so what they did is um, they, they dumped over 40 minutes of footage from the film. Because when I spoke to Steve Latshaw, he said that there were various scenes of conversations that were going on between Russian officials where you never even got to see the other person speaking. Like the camera was just <laughs> on one person the entire time. And so, you know, it really says something. I'm, I don't know about you, but it really says something. The fact that the guys at Phoenician Entertainment saw a film and they said, yeah, this isn't going to cut it. We need to fix this. <laughs> like, well, I will say, though, the only other thing I've ever seen uh, from Damian Lee was this movie uh, way back in the day, starring Jesse Ventura, called Abraxas, and that movie. Oh yes. So if you've seen that movie, you know that he he doesn't seem to understand when a scene is awkward. He just keeps it going. So that's the only other thing I'd seen of this guy. I'm like, oh, okay. And then ten years on, or however many years, he's still doing the same thing. Because that's what this movie is. So I get if they if that's what he did and they they were watching it and they were watching the dailies going, This needs to stop. <laughs> so Well you know what's you know what's odd is, yeah, for being as incompetent as he apparently was or is, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't wanna I don't wanna badmouth the guy, but what's crazy is he has since gone on to direct other films. So I mean, oddly it's 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 really bizarre because you would think he'd be completely blackballed from the industry, but that's not the case. He did a film with uh, Christian Slater and Cuba Gooding Jr. about 10 years ago called Sacrimony. And then he did a boxing movie about five, six years ago uh, with Dominic Purcell and Famke Jansen called A Fighting Man. Wow. So the guy is still in the business, still getting work, which I find fascinating. So, <laughs> Well, that is interesting. Um, especially if you watch this movie, you go, but I can't believe that. Hopefully he didn't put it on his resume. That's the only thing I can think. Well, I mean, and did you, okay. So on the most recent viewing, I have to ask, did you, cause you do own this on DVD as well, yeah, right? I do. Did you watch the DVD or did you watch it on prime or Tubi TV? Uh, I've actually seen it on the last time I watched it. I watched it on prime because I, I saw that they had okay. like a widescreen version. So I'm always interested to see how things look in widescreen. I wonder if the the people at Prime were like, "Whoa, what's the huge spike in Agent Red here? We got it." Yeah. So. <laughs> huge spike when two people watch it. <laughs> um, you know what? What's interesting if you do check out the DVD um, because I remember listening. This is my first director's commentary because again, back in two thousand one, the idea of a, of listening to a director's commentary if you were a film nut picking up that, that physical DVD copy and listening to the commentary as you're watching the film, that was such a cool concept at the time. And so this is the very first commentary that I ever listened to. And I remember turning it on mainly because I was like, okay, 
this Damian Lee guy <laughs> has to acknowledge or has to mention. There must be answers. The reshoot. <laughs> yeah, or the abundance of stock footage that is used. Have you listened to the commentary? No, so I got this thing, um, I think, from the video store I worked at. And okay. mine did not have any commentary. Okay, well, if you can find a copy with the director's commentary, it is baffling. I should. Because I'll not try. only... I'll look. Not only does he not mention any of the reshoots or any of the stock footage or anything, but he goes on, I kid you not, for over 45 minutes on viruses. Oh. You know, like his film is about the uh, the theft of a chemical agent, apparently. So he goes on for over 40 minutes, I kid you not, on viruses, <laughs> which is baffling because it's not like the, the, the idea of a killer virus as a plot point is new territory. I mean, it was somewhat new territory, I think, in, I mean, if you want to say 1995 with the film Outbreak. Yes, yeah, exactly what comes to mind. Yeah, like, it's it's not new territory, and it's not like he was hitting new ground by covering this in an action movie. So, <laughs> Oh, man. I, I, he must, maybe he's deluded. Yeah. <laughs> I, I just, I have no you know, idea. That's so weird. <laughs> but, you know, I will say, I, I feel like, you know, in my opinion, I think it says a lot about Lundgren. It says a lot about his character, especially as a professional actor. The fact that he stayed on board considering the working conditions and the changes to the script. I mean, there are stories all over Hollywood, um, horror stories about actors who saw what was going on in the film and they tried jumping ship in production. Um, but unfortunately, um, a lot of these actors were sued or threatened with litigation. I know if you go uh, to Whoopi Goldberg, she tried leaving the film uh, Theodore Rex and they uh, they threatened suing her. Kim Basinger did the same thing with a film called Boxing Helena and she got sued big time. So I think it says a lot about Lundgren's character, the fact, okay, he signed on for this badass film about this killing machine trying to get back a girl. They change it to a diehard knockoff and he just sucks it up and says, all right, well, let's do it. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, I, you know, it's a weird movie because he's he's the best actor in the movie, you know, this is, this is like a <laughs> Phoenician thing. seems like, but he's also, you watch the movie and he does not give a shit. And you can tell he, he's, he, he's just along for the ride at the point. Like when he's, there's a section about an hour to the movie where, I don't know, it's like five or six minutes long where it's just him answering calls um, from the the lead villain, and all he's doing is delivering one-liners, and he just does not care. And he, one of his lines is something like, uh, "They can't answer the phone because they're dead," like that. <laughs> and he does not put anything into it because he's just, uh, it's just like he probably thinks the lines just going to be changed, or they're just not going to use the footage at this point. I don't know. It's it's a weird scene, so I get it. Um, but he, he's, he's just there. He's, he's trooping along, but he's not, he's not giving a hundred percent anymore. And you can tell. Well, there's another scene actually, when he gets knocked unconscious by, uh, oh, yeah. by one of the terrorists, the scene where he is coming to and waking up and getting up. I have always laughed at that scene because like you said, the, the, he looks like he doesn't give a crap, which I mean, that scene as well. It's just like Damien Lee told him, okay, you are now waking up. And so he's like, all right, I'm waking up. I just, I'm just going to crawl up off the ground here and do this scene here. Where's my paycheck, please? So. <laughs> Pretty much. 
Uh, that whole scene is awkward as hell, too. That's just, that's, by the way, is bad editing, bad continuity, bad writing, everything, where he he's fighting a guy, and they throw him from an undetermined distance uh, off screen, and now I guess he's dealt with. It's very strange for these guys who literally went through the trouble of stealing this virus, uh, loading it onto a submarine, and then poisoning the entire crew. They throw him over a ledge, <laughs> and they go, I guess he's dead. Well, and we should probably say, and we've kind of touched upon it, um, but yeah, this film is retrofitted with tons of stock footage. Yeah. So we get stock footage from Lundgren's previous effort, Stormcatcher. We get some uh, footage from the film Solo with uh, Mario Van Peebles. Uh, Blown Away, the uh, uh, the bomb thriller that came out in 1984 with uh, Jeff Bridges and Tommy Lee Jones. I think there's even some footage from Top Gun in this as well. Uh, I mean, would not be surprised. The, there, there isn't a whole lot original to this film, but you know, I, I said it earlier. The film opens with just these long aerial shots of some naval battleships. Again, this is stock footage, mm-hmm. and this is also what we call, folks, padding a film. <laughs> this film is so padded, it is insane. A whole lot of fluff, man. I mean, they are trying desperately to get to that ninety-minute threshold, if you will, that, yeah, this this thing is padded from beginning to middle to end. I mean, there are various scenes that I was going to be bringing up that just go on and on and on with without really giving us anything. Well, the uh, the scene from well, early, early in the movie, uh, it's about, I don't know, 18, 19 minutes in, where they blow up that the, the ship, the, the terrorists blow up this ship, this random ship in a shipyard. Oh, the freighter. Yeah. Right. It's it's an old ship. That's from the movie Blown Away. Um, that's the, right. that's like the pretty much the climax where they blow up. Uh, I think it's Tommy Lee Jones is his like hideout, and you can still see the two main characters running along the dock, which is Jeff Bridges yeah. and and um, someone else. But they're they're running along the dock, and it's so funny to watch that scene, and and out of context from. You know, some other movie. I'm like, how does that, how do they even legally do this? Yeah, it's 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 really bizarre because you know you used an adjective when we were talking about uh, Stormcatcher that I think is pretty apt for this one, where it's jarring. Yes, and uh, you know, and I'm glad you brought that up because yeah, the editing here is extremely off. I mean, if we go back a little bit earlier in the film, uh, Hendrix and a team of military mercenaries are sent into a jungle where they are to recover a stealth fighter plane. What's interesting about this scene is this scene, this is one of the scenes that was uh, reshot and refilmed to kind of hit that 90-minute running time mm-hmm. because it serves nothing to the end, to the rest of the film. Like, we don't know why they're trying to get this plane back. We don't know who they're stealing this plane from. We don't know why these uh, these bad guys even have the plane. I mean, I guess... I guess in retrospect, they're including this to kind of show us that uh, Lundgren is a badass and is quite efficient at what he does. But even the scene where they show him being a badass, they stole from Stormcatcher, where he is being extremely cruel. So it's <laughs> it, it doesn't work. But, you know, it's funny what I noticed. I don't know if you noticed this either or not. But, yeah, you kind of touched upon it. The editing here is is just so wonky and and so off you know i guess not so much to the uninitiated but to someone who has seen the films that it's using stock footage from it's hilarious i mean 
for example, if you look at the if you look at the jungle scenes at the beginning yeah. of the movie, so these were taken from the movie Solo with Mario Van Peebles. These stock footage scenes look really good. I mean, you get a shot of a cheetah, etc. But then when it shifts to what was actually shot for Agent Red, <laughs> it's clearly a soundstage oh, yeah. with like fake, with like you know, with all these fake jungle plants <clears throat> and foliage that are placed. Just so tightly in the camera frame, uh, very carefully. I mean, it's, well, they didn't even try really to hilarious. match the lighting. It's so bizarre. No, but you know, it's and and I was talking about the 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 scene from Blown Away, which they use. They follow it up, like, and that that was the first point where I, I laughed hysterically because they um, immediately I'm like, this is from Blown Away. This is what happens if you've seen a lot of movies. You immediately go, this is from another movie, but. They cut from that scene of that ship blowing up, which is a high-production uh, 1990s uh, techno-thriller kind of shot. It's you know it's filmed really well. Cinematography's great. You see the whole ship explode, and they cut immediately to stock footage from the 60s or 70s, and it looks so bad that I and, and then and they they have they're like I don't know, and then they go and a little title card comes up for the first time in the movie it says moscow <laughs> and you're like what you didn't even like bother splurging for the typical like red square you know stuff they just go nope here's some here's some grainy old footage and we're in moscow now it's so bad <laughs> well in stormcatcher i mean i feel like in stormcatcher i don't know if you would agree with this or not or not but the stock footage there kind of is woven in fairly seamlessly yeah. to where, you know, when you, when you see those still fighter uh, planes, you, you kind of, you, and I always go back to what you said with Stormcatcher, you kind of think, wow, they, they sprung for this, huh? That, that's pretty cool. And then you kind of look back and it's like, oh, they didn't really film that. That was stock footage or whatever. They were pulling an Ed Wood there, if you will. <laughs> but in this one, yeah, it stands out so much. I mean, and the one that stood out to me, I, I said it already was just, you know, that jungle scene. I yeah. mean, when, like I said, it goes, it, you have the scene from, from Solo, which is really kind of interesting. They're, they're cobbling, I mean, you said it already, um, but I'll echo it again. They're cobbling and stealing scenes from films that were shot like 10, 11 years earlier. Like, you know, yeah. I mean, how desperate are they here? <laughs> no idea. Um, but yeah. <laughs> but yeah, it's just weird. Like I said, the foliage just, that was the scene actually that I showed my wife. What was was that? It was just it was like oh my god! Like I said, honey, you got you got to check this out. And she was like, oh my! Like it, it's not even like they're on a soundstage. Like I wouldn't be surprised if one person on the right side was out of frame, holding down a couple like fake branches. To, <laughs> you, you know what I mean? It's, well, it's like here's the difference between a fifteen million dollar movie and a fifteen dollar movie. Check it out, <laughs> <laughs> and we put them together. <laughs> did, I was gonna say, did oh, go you ahead. ever watch the movie Gale Force? It's a. It came out a couple years after this, a Treat Williams movie, but they use footage from Last Action Hero and. Okay, yeah. I do know of that one. Yeah. So and they, they use the scene where he is. Where don't they even suit uh, Treat Williams? Isn't he even wearing like the same clothing yes. that uh, that Jack Blader was wearing, yes. so that they can make it work? Yeah, right? and yeah. so that is similar to what they're doing here, and it's just as jarring because. And that was a big movie. You're like, you're you're really gonna throw, <laughs> you know, it's just you're gonna throw a Schwarzenegger movie at me in the middle of a Tree Williams movie as if 
those audiences don't overlap, like we're gonna know. <laughs> it's like they. Well, he did. <laughs> it's 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 funny that you mentioned Treat Williams because he actually did another one, oddly enough, that was actually produced by these same guys over at Phoenician called Extreme Limits, and and that one. It's the same thing. That one takes scenes from Cliffhanger. It takes scenes from uh, The Long Kiss Goodnight. And it just tries to fit them in the film. But, I mean, you don't even really have to be a hardcore, you know, action aficionado. I mean, I feel like Long Kiss Goodnight and uh, and Cliffhanger, those are films that I feel like everyone has seen or a lot of people at least know of. So when you see it in the context of that film, it's like, yeah, no, this yeah. <laughs> this, this doesn't work. This looks off. The lighting is off. The you know everything. Everything here is is off. Oh, it's 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 so weird in this movie. This movie beats like, just about anything I've ever seen. I cannot. It's, it's so hard to explain how weird it is to watch this movie if you've seen all the movies they're taking from. Well, the next scene in the film after uh, after Lundgren and his his team of mercenaries steal the plane, which again. That scene, the opening scene of the film, serves absolutely no purpose to the narrative of the film. Uh, we don't know who these bad guys are or anything like that. But it moves uh, to, to the next beat of the film where Hendrix, uh, this is Lundgren's character, of course, his commanding officer is giving Hendrix his next assignment. So the, the one thing that I thought was interesting here, his commanding officer is played by the great Stephen Macht. Mm-hmm. who I immediately recognized one of my favorite movies as a little kid was the monster squad. Yes. You uh, yes. were, were a fan of the Huge monster fan. squad. Yeah. And so it's so cool seeing Steven Mott show up in this. And I mean, I don't know what he looks like nowadays, but considering monster squad came out in 87, this was released in 2001. The guy aged pretty good. Yeah. Um, you know, it's weird. I, I didn't even think about that connection. Okay. <laughs> well, he's only in that one scene, yeah, too. that's true. Which is, <laughs> which is pretty funny. He might have been um, in the original yeah, film gives... more, but I don't know. You're saying. Yeah, well, <laughs> so here's some uh, here's some uh, a fun bit of trivia here for you, okay? So speaking to Steve Latshaw, so as he's given, uh, th- this came from Steve Latshaw, but um, Hendrix is, uh, he's given his, his assignment by, uh, by Stephen Mock, where he is to escort a deadly chemical agent called Agent Red, and this is the virus, uh, you know, the, the the title of the film is derived from this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but he is uh, to escort this from Russia back to the U.S. But what's interesting is the line in this scene where Stephen Macht asks him, ever hear of Agent Red? And Dolph Lundgren replies, sounds like a bad action yeah. movie. That, <laughs> that line right there was written in by Steve Latshaw as a joke. He had no idea that it was actually going to get filmed and thrown in the film, <laughs> but just to show, just to show that they didn't really give a crap and they just wanted to get this thing in the can, um, they kept it in the film. Oh, I don't even know what to think about that. So, it's kind of sad. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, but yeah, no, he's okay. So Hendrix is to escort um, this virus from Russia back to the U.S. Apparently. The Russians had their hands on it, but they don't want it anymore, and so they are giving it back to the U.S. So Hendrix, his job is to get it safely back to the U.S. He's to board a submarine because that's how it's um it's being transported. Um, he's also made aware by his superior that a Russian terrorist group 
is also planning on getting their hands on it. So again, his role, his job is to keep it safe. And of course, we know that that's not the case because some terrorists are planning on uh, taking over the submarine and uh, manning the missiles with this deadly virus and uh, causing all sorts of destruction. So right? yeah, then we got this a classic diehard setup because he shows up, he's looking well, for his ex, all that stuff. Well, and yeah, that's the the next thing I was going to say is, yeah, um, his liaison assisting him on his mission. So we do get a little bit of a uh, love story here. Dr. Linda Christian, uh, she is an expert in bioweapons. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> and she's also uh, Hendrix's uh, former fiance. Um, she's played by the beautiful Mylani Paul. But yeah, I love how every scene that she's in, she is just completely dolled up. Which is odd, considering it's a submarine mission. Yeah. So I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what they're thinking of this. Well, actually, I do. I think they're just like, get some TNA in there, and maybe it'll distract from everything else. Well, I also <laughs> think they're thinking, okay, you know what? This is made for a very specific audience, and our audience is not going to question this or whatever, so we're just going to roll with it. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. And they're they're not totally wrong, because, you know... About 20 years later, and finally somebody's questioning it. <laughs> yeah, I think we may be the only episode that has uh, taken a deep dive into the film. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Um, the, only pod- the only podcast out there. But yeah, so there's this group of Russian terrorists, right? They're led by uh, by the, the terrorist. His name is Kretz. He goes by Kretz. The actor who plays him is, uh, I'm going to say his name wrong, so please forgive me. But the actor who plays him is Alexander Kuz- Kuznetsov. Um I'll just ask you first, what do you think of the uh, the lead villain of this film? Well, uh, until you said his name, I thought he was a fake Russian. Because um, he seemed like a really bad theater actor. Like a, like a theater reject, <laughs> like somebody who's not a real actor. But, uh, okay. Um, I guess he's a real Russian from that name. That's what sounds real to me. Is he... I, I guess my only question is, is he the guy... I don't know if you'd know this. Is he the guy from the, there was a Coney movie called The Peacemaker? Ooh, that's a good question. I don't know. Okay. Because I couldn't, I was I like, have to look that up. I'm, I'm, my, I, that's the other thing. That's the problem. The other problem with watching too many movies is people blend together. So, um, tell me about this guy. What do you think of him? I, you know, I don't, <laughs> I don't know too much more other than, than his name. I, I figured considering he's the main antagonist, I got to at least give him the credit of, uh, of looking him up, but yeah, when we first meet him in the film, I mean, you touched upon it already. Um, he goes to the location where he and his team think that uh, Agent Red is is located, but it is not. So they just decide to blow up one of the Russian freighters as they make their getaway. And yeah, it's the scene from Blowing Away. Oddly enough, it's the final climactic scene from Blowing Away. And so, like you said, it's this jarring moment where suddenly the movie looks big budget. Yes, and then suddenly it's not like it's 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 completely not. I mean, you know, I, I said it already. I'll say it again. Stormcatcher was able to weave in this stock footage, you know, fairly seamlessly, but here it just stands out, and it's extremely distracting the way they. Um, and and a lot of that goes to again, unfortunately, to Damian Lee because the way he edits it together, it, it doesn't it, it it doesn't really work. It doesn't. Uh, it's not not believable, which. Obviously, I guess I shouldn't be looking at this film too critically, looking for uh, <laughs> credibility here. But, you know, I I, I got to call it out as I see it. Well, you know what's interesting is that there is a germ of a 
have a good idea here. Like just like that dichotomy between uh, Dolph Lundgren and his strained relationship versus the villain, and he has a a very weirdly solid relationship um, with his uh, female interest. And there is an idea there where you could just bounce these two off each other. They kind of fail to do it, but it is a good idea um, in in terms of just writing. Well, and I I did actually real quick to go back. I did actually look look back. Um, the actor who plays Kretz. Yeah, you're right. He was in the Peacemaker so with George. He's Clooney. just a well, tiny well. role. So, but yeah, that's that's where I figure. Um, that's cool. Uh, I don't know what else he'd yeah, be so. from. I don't. I don't I don't know what else he <laughs> Yeah. But yeah. Um so that's interesting. Um what I thought he was doing was he was trying to be Gary Oldman, you know, the Air Force One. Oh, from Air Force One. Yeah, because they give him the goatee mm-hmm. and everything that like was that. My, so that I was can my certainly first see thought. that's what they're trying to do. Well, I love you did you notice I love how everyone in the film is our lead, Dolph Lundgren, uh the the, the main antagonist guy, this Kretz guy. Everyone's wearing black leather. Yeah. I guess because <laughs> That that looked cool, you know. Well, so. It was that time, you know. You remember the big joke from that everyone remembers from the X Men, which is in I think two thousand. Now, you know, what do you expect? Yellow spandex and everybody's wearing leather. Yeah. So that I mean that that was yeah. just that time period. Everyone did that. Well, I mean, the second in command to Kretz, so his right hand woman um, is the character of Nadia. This is this is one of the scenes that always kind of amazed me in this in in an action movie. So when we first meet Nadia, she's actually sleeping with a, the with a Russian general so that she can find the whereabouts of Agent Red. But I don't know if you felt this way. The scene of them in bed talking to each other goes on way too long. <laughs> I mean, here she is. I mean, she eventually reveals her secrets and then Kretz comes in to shoot the general. But it's just a very odd, awkward scene. Just the the pillow talk and the conversations that they're having. Well, the, I mean, the blocking of the scene, this a bit. the blocking of the scene is, is frankly bizarre. So, but you know what, in a way it's like, I guess he is, uh, he's going against the grain because you don't usually see the, the naked man on top of the woman under the sheets. <laughs> yeah, that is, it is a little surprising to watch and you go, okay, well, it's a different kind of movie, <laughs> but okay. <laughs> Let me ask you this. Why is the actress playing Nadia? Why is she wearing a wig throughout this film? Uh, I mean, she's wearing this awful wig for for reasons I don't understand. I mean, that's something even my wife noticed and picked up on. She's like, that is a terrible wig. Why is she wearing that? Because she knew that she was going to get a different job in about a month and she would need <laughs> blonde hair. I don't know. It's, it's my only guess. <laughs> Well, and how would you? Okay, I mean, so if we look at the the terrorists and their their overall end game, their plan, it is. I mean, it, it's pretty much. I mean, we've seen this before. Again, going back to Stormcatcher and and the Rock. I mean, their motive is quite similar to all of those antagonists, right? They're planning to hold the world hostage as revenge for their fallen comrades. Is that right? Well, I think the idea was that virus, that particular one, had just decimated a village and these people or at least the, the the lady was the only survivor of some kind and her brother was the guy that in the beginning when he they they show footage early on in the movie of this attack and then in the uh, aftermath and there's a guy who may or may not have had some form of immunity and 
they shoot one of the other scientists just because um, he gets in contact with the guy, even though clearly uh, with the rules established later on that they should have been fine. They said it takes 12 minutes well, I mean, or whatever. And and like, oh, if it had yeah. been, been a couple days, I think we're safe to say that that guy's immune. Well, and that's the that's another issue that I have with the film. And I, I guess maybe we should have written down how many issues there are with the film. But that's the other thing that, that I have a slight a problem with is how many times in this film, Brenton, does someone ask, how hot is this stuff? Uh, I mean, how many times is that, that, is like, that line spoken? I would spoken? say that and three to, or four times at least, and then somebody will go into a detailed monologue about how bad this stuff is. Which, by the way, none of the stuff so, they say yeah, happens. Exactly. So if you remember, <laughs> I mean, if you remember in The Rock, and I hate comparing this to The Rock because, I mean, The Rock had a budget of... Yeah, <laughs> you know, five times this and was made so many years prior, uh, much better. So, I mean, you really can't compare it. But on the other hand, remember in The Rock when they're when, you know, narratively they are establishing, OK, that this is some some extremely lethal stuff that these bad guys here are going to be stealing. And so how do they how do they show us? I mean, there's that that old script rule uh, show rather than tell. Yeah. So how do they show us that it is that it is, you know, some some lethal stuff? The guy, well, guy gets early trapped in the, movie, in the locker with it exactly yeah one of the one of the thieves one of the terrorists um who who are the mercenary excuse me who steals it gets trapped in the locker and we see it just melting away at his face and everything so right then and there as a viewer we're like oh this is some nasty stuff here okay and agent red however rather than show us they tell us and like you said it's always the same thing so Earlier in the film, when Lundgren is getting his orders, he asks Stephen Mock's character, how hot is this? And Stephen Mock says, well, let me tell you. And he goes into this, you know, three and a half minute long speech about how terrible it is. Same thing when they're uh, when they're on the docks. Uh, the character of uh, Linda Christensen, she's asked by one of the uh, one of the Navy guys, how bad is it? She pretty much repeats all of the expo exposition that. Uh, the Stephen Mock gave earlier in the film. Yeah, it's, pick one. <laughs> I know. It's like it's just bad writing, you know, or bad editing, or both. Yeah, it's it's the same info. I mean, and you said it already. That was going to be my one of my next points when when someone does get because okay, someone actually a couple people are going to uh, get contaminated with this stuff. None of that. None of that lethal, terrible stuff that she's talking. I mean, isn't she talking about how you're going to be bleeding from the eyes and bleeding from the rectum? And, yeah, and all, and this, all stuff. this stuff that she We don't says, see any of that. And these guys just cough and collapse. That's the extent of it. I know. And one guy in the middle of the movie, or right, right in the beginning, I guess, um, he just kind of coughs and deals with it. And he... He provides a momentarily uh, like wrench in their in their cog. And it was just like a weird moment in the movie, and you're like, "What? Are, what are they trying to say here? That it's not as bad as everyone thinks? It's so weird." And then, of course, they give it an antidote to two of the the two main characters, and so there's no stakes. So you might as well not even brought it up. Might as well just made it about yeah, taking it, it, the sub. <laughs> This magical antidote that comes in. I mean, and it, it's funny because it's one of those things where they introduce that antidote early in the film um, when that one hot brunette yeah. is uh, is injecting Lundgren earlier in the film. I mean, and so, yeah, like you said, there's no stakes. So, I mean, if this stuff is so lethal as it as they say it is, how is it we were able to create an antidote for it? 
I mean, and if we're so worried about it hitting Moscow or whatever, well, then couldn't they just replicate and duplicate the antidote? <laughs> and <laughs> it's just, I mean, constant stuff uh, that y- you really just you're you're trying to turn off your brain, but they keep like lowering the bar with how dumb it is, and that's just <laughs> oh, and you're like, what? Why are you doing this? There's a part where, like, before they even get on the boat where they, they talk to the, they, there's a cab driver who's playing chess with himself or something, and you're like, oh, I, I guess he's rushing because he plays chess. I mean, it's like this, like, level of pandering that is rarely seen in any movie. So when they get to the virus, I don't even know what to think because it's just like, Make make up your minds. Is this dangerous or is it not? That is the, but it's not even. It's a non-element until they rip off the rock, which you mentioned earlier in a couple fight scenes. Well, and I mean, and going going back to the whole idea of this film being poorly edited and ridiculously padded. I mean, if you take a look at the scene where uh, where Linda Christian is, you know, again given all that exposition about the virus or whatever. When she's finished giving that speech about the virus, there is just this long shot of her walking away <laughs> and entering the sub. Yeah. Did you notice yeah, that? Yeah. And it's like, why couldn't they have cut this down at all? I mean, you know, I mean, just again, the padding of the film. And I'm going to say it right now. There is tons of pointless conversations in this film oh, yeah. that are ridiculous that go nowhere. I took notes of a couple of these. There is the one between uh, Dr. Christian and Captain Russell, where uh, this is the captain who um, is in charge of the submarine that gets uh, taken captive, uh, where he's telling her about the house that he and his wife bought in Arizona. Um, There is another one between the admiral, excuse me, the admirals back at the base. Are we going to talk about the golf? Where they're talking about the where they're talking about their golf swings. So, I mean, again, (laughs) I spoke to the I spoke to the guy who did the rewrite on this. He flat out told me his goal was to at least make this thing at the end of the day, make it to where it has a beginning, middle, and an end, and it at least told a story. But I got to wonder, in writing these scenes, I mean, are they are they almost, like, having having fun? Are they almost, you, you know, are they, are they drinking as well? Like, when they're, when they're writing this, thinking, okay, what is going to make it to screen here? You know what I mean? Well, it's so strange to think about because... Like they they know who they're marketing to, right? They know that what we want to <laughs> see is Dolph Lundgren kick a door down and shoot ten people in the face. That's like literally it. Like that's as much as we really want. And they decide that they want to spend three minutes on a guy telling his commanding officer that he's turning his wrist wrong when he swings his golf club, and you're just like. Are, are you are you messing with us, the audience? Because it's so bizarre. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Well, I feel like it has That's to be. That's what I'm It has to be tongue-in-cheek. It has to be playing with that. But the problem is, when, I, when I've watched everything that Dolph Lundgren's been in, pretty much, at this point. And so this is a point where he's in about ten movies where he's not kicking down a door and killing 10 guys. And you're like, why is this not happening? Like there needs there. Like why? Like I get his impulse to try and stretch 
I don't understand why everyone around him thinks they need to do this. Yeah, I mean, because, okay, if again, the film earlier, when it was first turned into Phoenician Entertainment and was completed, they deemed it unreleasable. So again, for them to fix it, I mean, they only had just a couple days to reshoot some scenes and add some stock footage like, and make it at least release. Like literally? Literally, yeah. Oh they they only had just a couple days to do this. But it's it, you bring up a really good point, Brandon, because it's kind of like, well, are they playing a joke on us? I mean, because that's honestly how I feel. When when we see these scenes where he's asked where they're talking about a freaking golf swing, it's kind of like, well, then are are they are they are they making fun of the people who paid the money? <laughs> to rent this, I mean, obviously they're they're making fun of me, my eighteen year old self who plucked down nearly thirty dollars on this damn thing, and so I guess the joke's on me, right? Yeah, that's what it feels like. Like, there's no reason <laughs> why it isn't just him picking up an M sixty and and walking around killing guys. Because when you told me that other plot synopsis, which by the way is not this movie, and in the least. He's not some hired assassin. Um, that you know what's weird, by the way. That that's kind of almost sounds like uh, skin trade. Any yeah. anyhow, um, that look, we want we that's the movie we want to see. The movie that that was that was sold to us was that one. Like even in our heads, before I even push play on this thing, that's what I want to see. Like that sounds exactly like what I want to see. And and then I'm watching this movie and I'm going. Yeah, okay, man. Die Hard was like 12 years ago. Let's let's move on. <laughs> and I don't know if you noticed this here either, either or not, but so yeah, the captain who is in charge of the submarine, again, the character's name is Captain Russell. I noticed this actually. Character actor Steve Easton uh, plays this captain. Um, and I don't know if you remember him from Con Air. What? Um, going back to another Jerry Bruckheimer produced film. But yeah, he was one of the uh, one of the guards on the plane in Con Air. And I thought he was quite is good. Is he the guy that they, they smuggle the tape onto? Um, no, he is the one. If you remember early in the film when uh, John Malkovich asks the guard, excuse me, sir, what is the in-flight movie? Oh. And then the guard gives him that smart-ass response. Oh, okay. So I don't even remember this guy. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I remember so many small actors' faces, and I don't remember that one. So yeah. good on you catching so, that. I mean, well, I mean, so... That, that's my that's my problem here is I mean you have a decent character actor here playing a role and they give him absolutely nothing to do we get him talking about a home that he and his wife bought in Arizona and then he gets gassed and taken out of the film which that's another problem that I have as well the terrorists gas everybody who is all the all of the um, developed the people characters who are on the submarine yeah and what happens to them like do we miss something did I miss something I don't like, we don't where, even where see do their go? bodies. Yes. Like at the end of the movie, so, um, spoilers. At the end of the movie, when the good guys have won, they are standing on the same bridge where at least around a 10 to a dozen people collapsed. Uh, there's nobody there. Yeah. Like the the bad guy has plenty of room to crawl around on his, on his butt. He's just crawling around. That is, that's weird to think about. Well, I mean, like there's not even, there's, he should be crawling over bodies and, Make it make it morbid at yeah. least. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, but they gas them and then they just you know completely disappear. <laughs> I mean, literally from the submarine from the film, and then we get. I mean, we've already kind of touched upon the one-liners in this film, but I mean, there's just such goofy comedic beats where 
when Hendrix and uh, and Linda Christensen, his Christian, excuse me, uh, his former fiance, he's literally. I mean, it's an extended scene that goes on way too long, where he's chasing her around the submarine, trying to give her an engagement ring. I mean, okay. Before I go to my opinions, what did you think of this uh, this subplot? Okay, so like I said, there's the germ of a good idea here, because you can bounce it off the difference between um, the comparatively solid relationship between the villain and his woman. So you could do something with that if you were uh, a decent editor and a decent writer, but, or, or if you had time, apparently if they have two days, uh, I guess it's not the worst thing I've ever seen, but as it stands, that's pretty bad. Because instead it just comes off like a very odd comic relief that is interrupted by the movie. Like Die Hard did it right. Well, well, and you know, Die Hard also did not do was okay. Yes, you have John McClane, who he's a bit of a uh, he, he's a bit of a rebel. You know, he's you know he could be a jerk too. But nowhere in any of the Die Hard movies did he ever say an offensive one liner that Lundgren does in this movie. I mean, I couldn't believe some of the the one liners that Lundgren speaks. I mean, so when when he is injecting. Uh, Oh, Dr. Yeah, Christian with the antidote. I almost pushed this I mean, out of my he, head. I know exactly what you're going to say, but go on. And he says that one particular one-liner when she, you know, says, ow, that hurt, you know, and I'm not going to fully go into it, but it's kind of like, again, the writers are obviously playing a joke on us, right? Yeah, that's what it feels like. So. But uh, a a very awkward sexual innuendo in the middle of what is ostensibly a serious scene, but it's also the scene exactly. that um, that does deflate the rest of the tension from the movie. Because at this point, Dolph Lundgren is so sure that he's going to win. So you're just kind of, okay. And now the possible stakes of her getting infected are completely gotten rid of. So once again, why even bother bringing the virus into the movie? Well, exactly. I mean, if you want to compare this to uh, Outbreak, which had come out so many years prior, remember our lead, Dustin Hoffman, his estranged significant other, she got infected. Yes. And I mean, that brought some real stakes, some real gravity to the situation. But him just, you know, uh, you know, give, pulling out this magical syringe and giving it to her right away, it's it completely takes away any kind of tension in this film, which, I mean, I at the end of the day... I would like to think they wanted to have some kind of tension here, right? Yeah, well, it felt like it. Or did they even give a crap? It felt like it for a while. I mean, to be fair, um, as much as that guy apparently said he wanted a beginning, middle, and end, this movie's pacing is so off. Um, <laughs> when you like, just think about like how long does it? How many shots of, first of all, those guys carrying the virus in slow motion are there? But they don't actually take over the... This is a, a, a movie that's an hour and 30 minutes. They don't take over the boat until about 45 minutes in. Or the, the right. submarine. So everything's wrong in this movie. So then how much time between there and him giving her the antidote is there? There's not that much time. So the threat lasts about, I don't know, like 20 minutes. 
You go, oh, well, that's, that sounds like a bummer. And then, then he caches her and gives her injection. And now there's no, there's no stakes to this movie. We know he's going to win. And we always knew he was going to win because he's a good guy. But it's so ridiculous. Like, I don't even think they give 20 minutes before he gives her that shot. Probably like right. 10. Like, that's the level of, of what we're talking about here, where there's just no stakes. There's no tension in this movie. And that's really the problem. And that has to do with the editing, has to do with the writing. But it is largely editing, because there's too much fluff in the beginning of this movie. Well, and what's also a little distracting is we're supposed to buy that all of the action, I mean, everything going on here is all set and occurring on a submarine. Yet there's these high ceilings and cement walls and pillars. I mean, if you take a look at Hunt for Red October or Crimson Tide, or even last year's Hunter Killer that came out back in uh, October. Still haven't you know, seen it. All of those, all of those, you know, it's actually, it's actually not, I mean, it's not great, but it's actually not bad. I, I, I will admit, I actually kind of dug well, it. I dig Jar Butler, so um, I'll, I'll check it out. It's actually quite good. But I mean, all of those films, I don't know if you feel this way, but all those films give you, give me the, the, the claustrophobic feel where I actually feel like I am on a submarine. Yeah. Because you just have these, you know, very tight confines and you have these very low ceilings and it all works here. I mean, it, 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 this does not feel like it's on a submarine and it's almost kind of like the, the editors and the filmmakers knew this because every 10 minutes or so they should throw in a stock footage shot of a submarine just to kind of remind you, Oh yeah, this is, <laughs> this is on a submarine here. So well, they have to, I was going to bring it up earlier, but like, when Dolph is killing the people, uh, like the bat, the goons before uh, before he reveals himself, really, um, they're finding the bodies of their comrades, and they're just like laying on a concrete floor of a warehouse, and we're yeah. going, that's not a submarine. <laughs> so yeah, they're they're just they're not getting it. They don't understand. They just assume that since there's some pipes running along the ceiling. Uh, that we'll just go along with it. <laughs> but, <laughs> pipes running along the ceiling. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Pipes running around the ceiling and control monitors with blinking lights. Oh, yeah. That is a submarine right there. <laughs> so. That's what it looks like. Well, what's that um, scene um, where he the, he talks to the villain, the lead villain, and he, he basically does the, uh, the fly in the ointment speech from Die Hard to him. Uh, I think he says, like, fly in your voice or something to have a spin on it. But, um, like, five seconds later, the villain just, he's like, I'm going to, well, he, first off, he says, I'm going to kill you myself. And then five, like, seconds later, he literally grabs the girl. He's there. He shows up. He, true to his word. I was like, wow. Okay. But then Dolph Lundgren gets trapped. Um, he shoots a guy, like, over his shoulder with one gun. But then he can't shoot the guy right in front of him with two. <laughs> it's, a, it's like a, the movie is a it's a nightmare. Okay, he could ha- hardly handle it. <laughs> well, you know what they should have done is, I mean, okay, if this is going to take place on a submarine, you're going to do a submarine thriller. I think they need to lean into that a bit where maybe they have, you know, the, the final bad guy. Maybe he should. I mean, I don't know how they could feasibly do this. They could have figured out a way where maybe he dies by the sheer pressure of how far underwater they oh, are or something little, like that. Or they're, they're, they're able to release him. 
something like that, right? Well, you know, they needed but again, something fun. They needed, they needed something to kick you off. Um, instead, they kill him the same way that they kill the girl, basically. Uh, so they need to, like, shove him in a torpedo tube or something. Yeah, that would be cool. Oh, that would that would have been that would have been sweet. Yeah, I mean, and I mean, they had tons of stock footage of various uh, torpedoes and missiles going off. I don't know why they couldn't have done something like that. But real quick before we get further, while it, it is still fresh in my uh, mind, there's another one-liner that Dolph spouts that um, I had to completely roll my eyes at, and I should probably back up. I, I probably shouldn't. Uh, it sounds like uh, there, there were we're bagging on Lundgren here. It's not. It's not so much Lundgren. It's what he has been given. Well, yeah, totally. Film, we should probably say. Um, Which is nothing. But there's another one-liner. <laughs> <laughs> nothing at all, yeah. Um, but he he decides to get the attention of a helicarrier that is apparently above a sub. How, how I think I missed something, but how he knows that the helicopter, the helicarrier, excuse me, is right above the sub, I don't know. But when, uh, when his fiance asks him how he's going to do this, he responds, I don't know make a little noise, do a little damage, <laughs> then there's a brief beat, and she says, get down tonight. Like, Which honestly is probably the best writing in the entire movie. <laughs> oh, man. That's actually... like well, Now I, thinking about it, that's actually really funny. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? What distracted me, though, I don't know if you, uh, what, what you thought about this, but suddenly in the third act, pretty, pretty much all of the exposition and narration is told by a random newscaster yeah. who just comes into the film. Well, my favorite part about that guy is that the camera is on, a, it's like a tracking shot that's like slowly circling him. It's going left and right. And that is so funny to me because I was like, I wish every newscaster that was what happened. Like if a news guy, like Wolf Blitzer or whatever, sitting at a desk, and there was always a camera that's like just <laughs> waving around him, and he had to like follow it. Like that's hilarious to me. But instead, like the guy almost pretends like the camera's not there at one point, then the rest of the time he's like following it with his eyes. But it is like circling him, it's just spinning around him slowly well, is, in a horseshoe motion. <laughs> what is so, what is so just bonkers to me is the fact that again. This film is padded. I mean, it is so pathetically padded. But at the very end of the film, to, get, again, get it to that 90 minutes, you get a quick recap of all of the actors who starred in the film. And even the actors who barely even had one scene get their moment to shine, including the newscaster guy. Yeah. Did you notice yeah. that? Uh, they really <laughs> so. liked him. <laughs> Good job, man. You're in the, you're in the credits. <laughs> Oh, man. Uh, it's so and, weird. Just I, 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 I know I brought it up already, but it's like, just just let us just let Dolph shoot people. Like, you don't even need this much plot, my friends. Come on. You're tr it's like you're trying no. too hard for too little effort. Like, it's, he doesn't do too much. No, our, I mean, he really doesn't. I mean, that hard to set up because it is crazy how hard they seem to be trying to not let him shoot a gun. Well, and I mean... I don't know if you felt this way, but I honestly thought thought the the fight between uh, Linda Christian and Nadia, okay, when they get into a fist fight, I thought that was better than when our our hero and our main bad guy, our main villain, get into a it fight. It was so, she actually uh, kicks. Yeah, so 
Yeah, she actually kicks. And I mean, so we should probably say, so Linda Christian, the uh, expert in uh, bio-warfare, she gets into a fight. It's kind of interesting how um, Dolph's fiance and the main terrorist, his his woman, they, they get into a fight, which is interesting. But one of the vials breaks in her hand, and she just dies. And, I mean, you kind of touched about it already, but it's an extremely lackluster death, considering all of the countless exposition that we got claiming that, you know, once exposed, you know, you're pretty much... Uh, every every horrible thing that you can imagine happening to someone from a disease or a sickness happens thanks to Agent Red. None of that really happens to her. I mean, and th- the other thing that I thought was interesting is for such a lethal virus, I find it interesting that it's just carried in these flimsy little vials that can get broken so easily. <laughs> well, you know, I have given Michael Bay so much shit over the years, but at least he understood when there's that virus and they like break that thing. Like he, sh- he does the exact same thing. He, uh, Nick Cage shoves it in the guy's mouth at one point and makes his jaw crush it. Um, he, which is exactly what Lundgren does to yeah, on, in this film. And, and in the rock, at least you had that slow motion moment of the guy foaming out the mouth. So you knew there, there was like, oh, that's it. That like he he understood enough to slow mo and hang on that moment. Whereas this movie is just kind of, eh. And this is after The Rock. This is like somebody not paying attention. Just, uh, it's it feels absolutely lazy. Is that's the only thing I can think of when I'm watching this movie? Is it's like you're just lazy. Like, how did you mess this up so bad? Well, you know, regarding Michael Bay, you know, I've said it before, and I'll say it again. You know, Michael Bay seems, uh, he he gets a ton of shit from people, um, and a lot of that is justified. I get that. You know, the thing I will give Michael Bay is he knows what looks cool. Yeah. I mean, he knows, he'll do a shot, and it'll be in slow motion, whatever, but he knows when it's on screen, he knows what is going to make a cool shot. I've always kind of referred to, I don't know if you uh, followed comic books back in the 90s, but there was an artist back in the day, um, Rob Liefeld. Yeah, I know. Um, Deadpool guy. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, Rob Liefeld is not the best artist, but the thing that you got to give him uh, credit for is that he cannot draw feet. <laughs> exactly. But you know what? He knows what looks cool. If you look at a splash page, a, a splash page that he does, that he puts together, it looks cool. I mean, even in the 90s when he did Youngblood, I mean, a lot of the drawings and the feet were a little off and everything. But when you see that splash page, you know, okay, here's a guy who knows what is going to look flashy. And I always feel that same way with uh, with, with Michael Bay as well. I mean, it always kind of amazed me at how, <laughs> and this is a slight tangent here, but it always kind of amazed me at how much uh, vitriol and just uh, negativity fans of the Transformers <laughs> gave gave Michael Bay for directing that franchise when if you really break it down it's kind of like okay you have a franchise about giant fighting robots <laughs> that transform into cars and you're getting mad that a guy like Michael Bay is directing it in my opinion I always felt like he's the only guy who could really handle material like that and make it look cool on screen and I haven't seen any I haven't seen any of the sequels I only saw the first one but as stupid as the first one was yeah, and as stupid as the first one was, I was like, you know what? In the at the end of the day, it looked pretty dope. It looked pretty cool. Well, I uh, I, I don't know. I just 
I think uh, Michael Bay has got issues mostly in uh, bloat, but it's like, I don't know, it's like the opposite of this. Like, he films too much, and these guys didn't have nearly enough. So, I don't, <laughs> I don't know. I, I've given I've given Michael Bay, like, endless shit. Uh, and maybe I shouldn't, because <laughs> when I look at this, I'm like, you know, could always be way worse. And have you done a kill count yet for the rock? N- no, I don't. Well, I mean, Maybe. not like a, a real one. Like I, 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 I okay. could tell you probably like, you know, how many people Sean Connery killed or Nicholas Cage, that kind of thing. But I don't know, like total for how many people all together die in the movie. I don't know. <laughs> like, I don't know. All right. Well, depends on what in you're any looking case, for. You know, it's, <laughs> it's, it's extremely just you know lackluster, and you said it already lazy. That the fact our our main our main bad guy, the the head of this uh, terrorist group, he and uh, Matt Hendricks, Lundgren's character, get into a hand to hand battle, and it's just an extremely lame hand to hand fight. I have to admit, but uh, Hendricks is able to shove one of the vials into Kretz's mouth, <laughs> uh, thus exposing him to Agent Red. And it's weird because I feel like. That should have been his death. We should have. I mean, if they were going to, you know, this $15 budget here that the that this film apparently had, they should have put 12 of those dollars to his death. And it's it's just so disappointing, the fact that he comes back. I mean, he appears again in the film. And how does he meet his demise? But by Hendrix shooting him 10 times. Yeah. Like, if he's already been exposed to the virus, why why are we wasting, you know, this time seeing him uh, getting blown away? It's uh, I guess because somebody at the very last minute heard my future pleas and were like, "Why don't we have Dolph Lundgren shoot somebody?" <laughs> and so he has to pull out both guns and shoot a guy. I don't know. That's the only well, only. Not guess. only not only does he pull out both guns, but he does a really sad roll. Yeah, as he says, he's on the ground. Well, um, to go back in time before that was about when uh dude picks up a fire extinguisher and hits Dolph Lundgren and somebody who is obviously not Dolph Lundgren falls on the ground face first. Guy has like curly hair. It's bizarre. <laughs> so I don't know. They're they're just like you doing know, weird things that I can't even begin to understand. Well, the film actually ends shortly after mm-hmm. that, so um uh, Mylani Paul's character. This is the, uh, the the doctor. She's able to call off the airstrike, and and all is good. Uh, especially back at the uh, back at the base between the the admirals, who are talking about their golf swing and everything. Um, <laughs> so yeah, all is good. And Lundgren and uh, and this this character, they embrace. Uh, she takes the ring, and apparently they're going to be uh, planning a wedding. And um, before the credits officially roll, we already kind of talked about it, but again, to pad the film to that 90-minute threshold, uh, we get a recap of not just the main actors, but it's pretty much every actor who had, like, even barely two lines. They get their uh, they get their moment in the sun here, and uh, <laughs> then it quickly uh, <laughs> then it quickly goes to credits, and um, we can all take a breather and relax and rejoice over the fact that we uh, have gotten through the film. So... <laughs> Oh, uh, whatever happened to that? Like, you ever see this stuff? Like, I, I've never seen this lady be- before in my life, and I have no idea what happened to her. 
you know, uh, um, that like Malani Paul, like what happens to these people? It's so weird to me when I see them. It's like, uh, they were there. You, and it, it's, yeah, it's, it's weird because it's kind of like, I mean, I don't know if they put this on their acting reel or something like that. I mean, I don't know. But, but yeah, hey, I, I guess I guess it's great that uh, even even the dude who was talking to uh, – and we haven't talked about it. But, yeah, it's bizarre that second or third build in this film is a guy by the name of Randolph Mantooth. Did you notice that? <laughs> no. What? So, yeah, but even the guy who's talking – so, yeah, Randolph Man- Mantooth, he plays the lead admiral who was uh, back at the base. But – um. Even the guy who's getting golf tips from him, he gets his moment there where, you know, he gets a a brief bit. So it's just weird. But look, Brenton, <laughs> we, we got to the end of this. It was fun. Um, I think I pretty much know what your recommendation is going to be, but um, I'll, I'll, let, I'll let you have your moment. No, I'm so, Brenton, su- moment of truth. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. I'm going <laughs> to surprise you. I'm going to tell people they need to see this. They, this is, this is a necessity. I think you all need to watch this. (laughs) So how about this? Let me rephrase, let me rephrase it. Um, why, why does Agent Red not get a recommend both as a Dolph Lundgren film and as a film in general? Well, I wouldn't get it as a Dolph Lundgren film because he is barely present for the movie. He's there for sure. You can see him. Um, I, can very much tell he does not care to be there. Um, as far as the film goes, it's sort of the, uh, I don't know what you call it, like a example of everything not to do, um, which is steal from other movies, like is as far as plotting goes and literally stealing footage from other movies. Like, don't ever do that. So that's why. So I'm going to say no, no, but also, yes, yes, you people really need to watch this because this is hugely entertaining because it, it is exactly the uh, so bad it's good kind of movie. Yeah, well, and actually, if you go on IMDb, actually, the IMDb trivia for this film, this they actually state on there, and I don't know how much uh, truth there is to this, but apparently this was the original cut of this film uh, was passed around the offices over at Phoenician when they existed um, for pretty much an example of what not to do in a film. <laughs> and it's just so bizarre when I hear that, because it's kind of like, I got to see the original. Cut. Oh, I'm no, sorry. Because just if, the same if time. the way they fixed this, if this is what they deemed competent <laughs> and releasable, then I have to see the original version. And I have to have an interview with Damian Lee at this point. Uh, to, 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 to get his side of the story. And I swear to God, if he brings up viruses, I don't want to hear about the viruses. I want to hear, I want to hear about the, the making of this film and, um, what he was thinking. He's going to sit there and tell you, no, you don't understand. This is a huge concern. We have these viruses out there. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man. Oh, it's, we know with, with, (laughs) with regard to my recommend, um, Gosh, I'm I'm right there with you. No. Oh, okay. No, 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 no. Um, no. I, if you want a good laugh, if if you want, if, I mean, because as obviously, I me personally, I I know I've had a hell of a time laughing this one and and talking it uh, talking it with you, and I'm glad that we were able to partake in a couple beverages. So Indeed. yeah, if you want a good laugh, then most definitely. But at the end of the day, this is just so poorly made. I mean, it has a really poor made for TV feel to it. 
that I don't even think the sci-fi channel would air something no. like this. Um, interestingly, though, you know, if I'm going to give it one small, small moment of praise, I would say, you know, while you said a lot of the editing and a lot of the pacing is off, at the end, though, it does have, in a very odd, odd way, it does have a beginning, middle, and end. I mean, and if you want to compare this, for example, to The Last Warrior, okay, for example, okay. which was was equally bad, you know, Last Warrior is extremely nonsensical in many parts and doesn't even make sense to where I don't even know what I'm watching. This one at least tries to make sense, I feel. Um, but for me, that's that's where my praise ends. I mean, this has bad acting, bad direction. It has a bad, completely unoriginal script. I mean, it is just, and I know that's very, that's a very unoriginal adjective I can use to describe this one, but it is just bad, bad, bad. I don't know. <laughs> I, I, I don't know if you wonder this or not either. I don't know how many films Phoenician Entertainment did after this one, but I wouldn't be surprised if this was uh, one of the films that caused them to, uh, to fold and hang up shop. Well, if they did films after this, a number of them, I would say it was too many. Um, cause this is proof <laughs> that they don't know what they're doing. Like I said, I'll kick down a door and shoot people. You know, when, uh, not long after this, uh, he, I don't even remember how long he was doing movies with Sid Fury and Sid Fury understood. Like kick yeah. down a door and kick somebody in the face or shoot him. It's like that. That's it, how hard is that? So I don't know. It's just like. It's weird, and, it's, and honestly, it's kind of it's rough, man, to hear you, who I consider like the Dolph fan, <laughs> tell like say, "Oh, this is crap," because and it's true, but it's it's rough. Like when you're there and you like hear it live, oh man, don't watch this. It's rough. <laughs> so that's when you know when the Dolph fans are going and nah, shaking their head. That's when you know you you hit the bottom. But you know, I feel like we are at this point. I feel like I'm officially now out of the slumps because what is what is so remarkable about uh, about Mr. Lundgren and his career at this point was I feel like it was after this film where he was starting to write the trajectory on his career and he really started putting in great work again. I mean, you said it already, but he did uh, two films back to back with uh, director Sidney Fury uh, after this one. And um I think, like you said, Sidney Fury knew how to properly use Lundgren. Now, I will say right now, Sydney, uh, excuse me, Detention is going to be one of the films that I'm going to be covering here pretty soon. And Detention is not really that great, to be honest. It's, it's kind of ridiculous. But they do use Lundgren right. And I, I have to wonder, that's why I would love to speak with uh, Lundgren, but I have to wonder if it was experiences like Agent Red, experiences like Stormcatcher, uh, The Minion, all these, all those films that he did kind of in this period where he said, you know what, I'm tired of this. I'm going to start directing my work. Because if you really think about it, if you look at his career, it was right at about The Defender and then Russian Specialist. Those are the films where he started directing his own work. Mm -hmm. And that is where Dolph was back. Granted, they were direct-to-video films, but it was at that point where it was like, okay, the guy is back and the guy is doing what what he should be doing. So I can't help but wonder if he looked at experiences like Agent Red and he said, you know what? If I'm going to continue being in this business, I'm taking over. Yeah, well, I'm going to be behind the ship. 
I think that that one yeah. is actually, I mean, especially for a debut, that's pretty good. And I think he took over for Sid Fury on that one. So he did. So yeah, that's like, and like right around the same time he's doing Russian specialist, which is really excellent. And, uh, and my personal like favorite of the, the low um, years, as it were, uh, diamond dogs, uh, I know a lot of people are kind of weird about it, but I, I really like Diamond Dogs. But so I don't know. It, I think that you're right. I think it, it was probably dealing with these crap ones because I remember. So I worked at the video store this time, and I remember hearing that he was talking about retiring altogether. Right, which you can't blame him. Yeah, I mean, if, if you look at these films and the the type of um the type of roles that he's getting. Yeah. I don't blame him. If he's thinking about retiring, it's so that's what I make. I think is so remarkable is that he was able to um, consider retirement and then say, no, I'm, I'm going to kind of be in control of my career at this point. And if I want to put in good work, I'm going to make sure that I am controlling it. And, you know, you mentioned uh, diamond dogs. I would agree with you. I mean, diamond dogs is a little goofy, but I've heard rumors as well with diamond dogs that Lundgren actually directed most of that one. as I well. I wouldn't be surprised. So, it's a it's yeah. a movie that where I I remember uh, what's uh, Jeremy uh, talking to him just years ago now, but I said uh, I really hope that he does more of that, and he told me that there was some kind of rights thing and that wasn't going to happen, and I was really sad about it. So, well, you know that's it's too bad, but I I really liked that. I was like I like the idea of this guy because he can go on other adventures. He's you know he's just this kind of down and out guy who becomes. Um, almost a, uh, a kind of brawler Indiana Jones type by the end of the film, and I, I thought that was really cool. Yeah. But yeah, he told me it wasn't going to happen. <laughs> so, well, Brenton, um, before I let you go, before we close this up, again, I had a great time. This was going back to what I said at the the beginning. This is uh, one of those films where I was like, okay, if I'm going to be going, because I never, when I started to show up, I never wanted to just handpick a film here and, you know, take a film there. Because, I mean, first of all, if I had gone that way, I would have never gotten to Agent Red at any, yeah, that's fair. At any point. And also, if I had done it that way, I would have, um, unfortunately, I don't think I'd really be getting to see the trajectory and the, the way Lundgren's career was, um, was the path that it was going on at that point. And so, in any case, yeah, here we are, finally got through it. It was kind of like a... As Jerry Seinfeld said, it's like a Band-Aid, one move right yeah. off. But uh, but we got through Agent Red. So, again, thank you for this. I do appreciate it. But, um, yeah, real quick, uh, all out of bubblegum. I went to your website actually the other day. You've added a couple more kill counts to the Indeed. site. So, um, yeah, it's a fun website. Throwing some Scott Atkins up lately. But, yeah. And now the Cobra video essay. Where are you at on that I one? Am, I am about two-thirds done on that one. I actually thought I was going to okay. be done before we even did this, but I'm not. Um, it was actually partly because you brought up you. You actually let me. You texted me. And you brought up Fair Game, and I was like, uh, I really should talk about that. And I've never watched it, so that was <laughs> it was my bad. I'm watching it. <laughs> did you finally watch I it? Did. Though? Um, it I, it's not. Uh, it's not going to be a favorite of mine, but I, you know, it's good to see, and it's good to see the parallels. You know, isn't I mean. A fair game is not a good movie. I'll just say yeah, that right now. Fair. But the thing I will give it is it comes from the Joel Silver wheelhouse mm -hmm. that uh, of films that uh, he was doing. 
And so when you watch it, kind of like a Michael Bay movie, but when you watch a film produced by Joel Silver, you can pretty much tell right away because all of the streets, I always felt this, but all of the streets in a Joel Silver movie all kind of have this sheen to them yeah. and just that the camera style all looks the same. And so as as ridiculous and, and trashy, I always felt that about Fair Game. Fair Game is extremely kind of a trashy flick, but um, as as poor as it is when you watch it, it it does look good because it is a Joel Silver yeah. movie. Would you agree? Yeah, I agree. Well, it's it's like um, P- anything from PM Entertainment too, where you're like, well, they they put some money right. in the right places, so it it helps. It helps considerably. Joel Silver is always very good about that. Well, cool. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, again Cobra um, being released, and then again, um, let's face it. We have Rambo Last Blood that is going to be uh, dropping. Um, the trailer was released um, uh, quite a few weeks ago, actually. But um, I'm super stoked for that one. Um, you know, we, we were kind of talking uh, the other day via text. You know, on one hand, I'm not a huge fan of all the reboots and all the remakes that are coming out. But I'm a fan of if they're going to take a story that was told years ago and at least continue it. I like that. I'm a fan of that, and I approve of yeah. that. So not so much the remake, the remake of Child's Play and all that stuff, I'm not really into. But if they're going to continue on to on, on with that, like they're doing with Rambo, I'm game. Or as on. it appears, uh, conclude it. Uh, I'm not positive, but it exactly. does seem that way. And uh, I, honestly, we've been on such a journey with the Rambo character that, yes, um, do it. Um, do it properly. I feel like with uh, did you watch? Yeah, you watched Creed too. I, I I listened to your podcast, so you've concluded that character's cycle or his uh, his arc completely. And I wish and I really hope that he can do the same thing with Rambo. Yeah. Well, and I mean, you know, real quick, uh, going back to to the film we covered today, Agent Red. You know, it's interesting because all of these action guys, all of these big movie stars. They've always had their slumps. They've always had their mm-hmm. dark ages. And as much fun as we've had um, making fun of uh, Agent Red here, let's not forget that uh, Mr. Sylvester Stallone had Stop or Mom or Shoot. Yeah. And how many of us have uh, seen the infamous meme or photo of him standing there holding a gun, wearing a diaper? <laughs> so at least we can say that Lundgren has not stooped that low. It's in his true. Head. I don't know how he's avoided it. <laughs> Although I guess the closest you get is a uh, fat slags, which is, you know, that's around this time. So that's like, I don't know, but that that's like a, he's not in the whole movies in one part. Yeah. That's as close as Lundgren's so, come to the, you know, the nadir of Stallone or even uh, Schwarzenegger. Schwarzenegger's done some stuff that I'm not a huge fan of. So at least, Lundgren uh, generally operated within his wheelhouse. Well, and I mean, back in 2003, I mean, let's face it. I was actually talking about this the other day with a buddy. Back in 2003, Sylvester Stallone was pretty much, I mean, I wouldn't say retired, but I had considered him pretty much done. Yeah. And he was doing Spy Kids 3. My kids were actually watching uh, Spy Kids 3 the other day on Netflix, and I'm just thinking, oh, my God, Sylvester Stallone, what? <laughs> well, I hope you got a good paycheck here for this one because... It's surprising though when you when you watch that movie you go wow wow man and he turned down <laughs> Tarantino like twice so it's like yeah. you you're in this okay all right buddy <laughs> Well hey Brenton um I do appreciate this I uh I highly doubt that this will be the last time but hey we did it yeah. we closed out the 
we closed out the Phoenician trifecta of films. And didn't um, even cry. I, I feel pretty proud of myself. <laughs> uh, yeah, I didn't even cry. So, um, well, hey, Brenton, again, thank you. Uh, I really do appreciate it. To everyone out there who is listening, please feel free to rate and review the show on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever else you go to subscribe. We always appreciate the reviews. And we'll see you all next time on I Must Break, this podcast.